You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writers' Centre at writerscentre.com.au. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 226 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? I am excited. Yo! <laughs> just right there. I'm just going to come right out up front with it. I am excited and I hope that everyone can hear. This is not just a theatre middling kind of a day. This is an oh I am excited day. Okay. Are you, hope, are you coping? Did I knock you over with no, my enthusiasm you did, right actually. there? actually. You did. <laughs> I know. I have my moments, you know. I just like to shock you every once in a while. Oh, my God. Why are you excited? Because I have in my hot little hands, as we speak, yes. right this minute, my very first advanced copy of the Book of Answers. Oh, And my I have to tell God. you that this moment never, ever gets old. It's so exciting to – it's weird though. You know, I'm sitting here with it and I've got the two books. So I have the Book of Secrets yep. and then I have the the Book of Answers next to each other and it's it's almost like an out-of-body experience. Like it's a funny thing. I look at it and it's like someone else wrote these. Do you know what I mean? Like you wow. don't – it's kind of a weirdness to that whole thing that came out of your head being in your hand. It's yes. very strange. It's a really strange but most exciting feeling. That is so so cool. Congratulations. I can't wait to I get know. my hands on it too. That's so, so exciting. Now, in case we have some new listeners, tell us what the Book of Answers is about. Oh, hello, new listeners. How exciting. We do get, we get new listeners every week. I think this is the thing that really kind of surprises me about the whole podcasting thing. And I absolutely love the fact that we get messages from people who, you know, are listening to episode 89 and stuff like that. They're going through the entire back catalogue and I'm just thinking, what did we even talk about in episode 89? But anyway, um, hi to all our new listeners. We're very happy to have you on board. Um, So the Book of Answers is the sequel to the Book of Secrets and both of those are Adaban Cypher novels. Um, And so the Adaban Cypher series is a uh, a series about a boy who has grown up in a monastery and one day is handed from a dying man this amazing book and what happens to him after that and what the book is all about and, and all of those things are, of course, answered in the Book of Answers. So the Book of Secrets sets everything up. The Book of Answers provides all of the answers. And um, I have to say it's a very satisfying uh, kind of way to create um, a story is to have, you know, the, it, it's it's two parts. There's no mucking around. There is all of the stuff in the first book and then all of the answers in the second book. So um, I hope that kids uh, love it. It's a middle grade series. I should say that, Fantastic. shouldn't I? It's a middle and grade so what age about is that? 
Um, it's aimed at kids approximately nine plus. So about the nine to 13 age group is the sweet spot. But I do have many fans who are, who are younger readers, who, um, you know, advanced readers, because there's nothing mm. to, you know, thematically worrying or anything like that in it. And I also have lots of adult fans as well, which I love because yes. it's just it's a rollicking adventure story. It's much like my first series, the Mapmaker Chronicle series, in that it is all about, you know, adventure and discovery and all of those things that I think make um, a terrific story. So it's great. And it's out. So the Book of Answers comes out in Australia on March the 27th, but both books will be available in the US um, as of January 2019. So that is also so exciting. cool. I know. So it's, um, yeah. yeah, so that's, it's a good day. A good, when you get to hold your book in, a ha- in your hands, it is a very, very good day. Yes, congratulations. And, of course, the Book of Sequence is absolutely fantastic and I have no doubt that the Book of Answers will be too. So I'm hanging to get that in my hot little hands. I think one is on its way to me as we speak. Yes. But, um, <clears throat> so I'm excited that you're excited. It was a shock. I know. But, I know. know. That's great. I, well, we I've taken know. over your role right there. <laughs> I'm excited. We okay. Want and what about you? Give... Are you excited? Oh, am I excited? Hmm. Um, I was a bit sick in the last couple of days, so oh. I was a bit blur, to be honest, but I'm excited that I'm on my way up. So, yeah, yes, I am. Um, we want to give a big shout-out, though, to Kylie Wrights. I like that name, Kylie Wrights. Um, mm. uh, and because Kylie has left us a review on iTunes called Love It, Guaranteed to Keep You Motivated, and Kylie says, Al and Val are the perfect writing pick-me-up. In between day jobs, school activities and kids' sport, I crave something that will keep my writing on track. This podcast reminds me that my writing goals are worth pursuing and may even be possible. It helps that these knowledgeable ladies are also hilarious. Hilarious. (laughs) Sending you you love and words of the week from Briz Vegas. Mm. Yes, I love it. I'm I'm going to show your review to my kids who think I am not hilarious and show them that in actual fact there are people in the world who think I am hilarious. I was pulling yes. a few dance moves there on the weekend that I Why? thought were hilarious. Oh, just because that's what we do around here. I thought, you know, Book Boy was offered a gig and I was just showing showing my other son some moves that I might pull, you know, that I might make when we were at the gig and both of them were unimpressed with my styling. (laughs) And I thought I was hilarious, but nobody else thought I was hilarious. But clearly Kylie writes things, so I'm hilarious. So I'm going to go with. I love it. I've been dancing too because I've been using Just Dance 2018 on the PlayStation 4 (laughs) and I can imagine I'm pretty hilarious when I'm doing it. I'd like to imagine that you're pretty hilarious as well while you're doing that. What's your favourite number to dance to? Oh, I like because I, I really like all the 80s songs. So I dance to The Final Countdown uh, by Europe. I dance to Don't Stop Me Now by Queen. I dance, of course, to Fame and Flash Dance, but I do do some <laughs> Lady Gaga as well. And I do It's Raining Men by whoever sings that. Um, and, Wasn't yeah, that the Weather Sisters? Oh, probably. I can't remember. Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> because you can also, if you want, it, the, the words come up. So you can karaoke and dance, but I'm not coordinated enough to do both at the same time. Seriously? So, you can't sing and dance at the same time? Not if I don't know the words, no. I can't read the words and follow the figure on oh, the screen uh, I to see. dance what I'm meant to be dancing. No, that requires special skill. 
that I okay. do not possess, I think. Right. Anyway, okay. this actually is a podcast about writing, not about <laughs> the weird things Alan Val do on the weekend. So, but we would like to know about your favourite '80s track to dance to. Yeah. So you know, if you've got a number that you do the housework to, or if you've got oh, a number that yeah. you just like to build out with a bit of a you know hop, skip, and a grapevine. Yes, you want to do that. Yes, I know. And now you're all doing it, aren't you? Um, Please share it with us because we would love to know. Great find. Jeez. All right. Let's move (laughs) on to the world of writing and publishing this week. We actually have a post that is on the Australian Writers' Centre blog, but it's about the new prize that has been announced by HarperCollins, isn't it, Al? It is. So HarperCollins has created a new fiction prize. It's called The Banjo. Now, the reason I wanted to talk about this, and now I do have a reason for wanting to talk about this beyond the fact that this is exciting because Australia's oldest publisher is creating a brand new fiction prize and they are searching for they are searching for an Australian voice. So they are looking for Colleen McCulloch, Bryce Courtney, Judy Nunn, Di Morrissey, Jane Harper, Kate Morton. They are looking for a bit of a sweeping saga. They are looking for a rich historical drama. They are looking for a twisty psychological thriller, but they're looking for a particularly Australian voice. Now, the reason I wanted to talk about this is because in the fine print, what they are after is an original, finished, unpublished, first draft manuscript first draft now I put it up on the Facebook page um, because that's what I do I like to share the the wealth and the joy about new and exciting opportunities to get your work published and the first four or five comments were like there's no way I'm showing anyone my first draft (laughs) right and so I had to hold myself back and tie my hands behind myself because you know obviously on the Australian Writers Centre Um, Facebook page. I'm very professional and this is not me going, (laughs) get over yourself. Because at the end of the day, I'm just like, they know it's first draft people. They're not expecting it to be a perfectly polished manuscript. They are asking for a first draft. And why are they asking for a first draft? Because they are looking for a voice. Mm. They are looking for a voice that they can work with. So I, all I'm saying to you is you have not one thing to lose. Not one if thing. If you have not one thing to lose. Mm. If you have an unpublished, finished, it's got to be finished, manuscript mm. that is going to fit in with their criteria and we will put the link in the show notes so that you can have a look. Yep. They are looking for a voice and yep. it it might as well be yours. So yes. this is like I really honestly wanted to go in and just be like people – Take a deep breath. This is the <laughs> biggest opportunity ever. Yeah. Get your first draft in there because at, it's it's that's what they want. They want to be able to work with you to take whatever it is that they see in your work, that voice, that that idea, that that kernel of genius brilliance that you've got going on yeah. there. They are looking to work with you. So yeah. why not? Exactly. Why not? And remember that famous saying, you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. So make Mm. sure that you take advantage of it. These opportunities don't come by every single day. So entries close on Friday, the 25th of May, 2018. And you know, even if you think your first draft is a bit 
average, just tidy it up and and get it in there. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it's fifteen. It's a prize of an advance of fifteen thousand dollars and the chance to win a publishing contract with HarperCollins. Um, two runners up will each receive a written assessment of their manuscript from HarperCollins. So, like, really, have a crack. Do it, people. Do it. Absolutely mad if you don't. You've got plenty of time because, like mm. I said, Friday, 25th May, we're giving you lots and lots of notice. Get it in mm. there. All mm. right. Our next link for the week is from the Writer Unboxed website and it's by Anne Brown and it's called Kicking Out a Fast First Draft. So that is the perfect This uh, is segue. This is my, my follow-up conversation because yes. – <laughs> I'm like, you've got until the 25th of May or whatever it is. You could totally get one done if you had to. Um, And so I thought this was an older post that I I found when I was, you know, travelling around the back end of the universe as I do, um, called Kicking Out a uh, Fast First Draft. It was written by Anne Greenwood-Brown on the Writer Unboxed um, uh, website back in 2011, but I feel that these absolutely – you know, there's nothing Very in this relevant. that is going to date. Um, and she goes through, and it's a pretty clever uh, post really because she goes through the kind of framework um, that at most, like she, she's essentially looking at different um, genres. They have a standard word count, like a middle grade is around 45K. A YA mm-hmm. might be up to 75K, but generally a little bit shorter than that probably. Commercial mm-hmm. fiction goes up to 90K. Fantasy goes up to 120,000 words. So, you know, like you need to understand what you're writing before you start with something like this, particularly if you really want to get a, a first draft out quickly. And then she actually goes through and divides up the the word count into so 10% of your total word count is going to be your introduction then you look at your rising your action that's about 15% the progress the middle of the book let's not talk about it 25% the stakes get raised another 25% the final push 20% and then the denouement or the ending 5% at the end and I think it's actually a really interesting way to go about getting a story down she's obviously mm. somebody who um thinks out a little bit, like she thinks out in advance what she wants to do. She has an outline and then she gets into it and she breaks down the, the chapters. She breaks down the setting, the details, the scenes. And basically what she's looking at doing is creating a framework around her first draft and then filling in the blanks very quickly. And I think that it's um, like sometimes people are like they'll start a first draft. They're not quite sure what they're doing. They're not quite sure where they're going. If you want to get it done quickly, you kind of do need an idea of where you're going. You need an idea of what the ending's going to be and you need some idea of the pacing and general structure of what you are writing. And I think that that's sometimes where people go wrong. They don't really know what they're writing before they start. And Mm. so, you know, when you don't know what you're writing before you start, you can end up with a how long's a piece of string kind of a, a first draft. If you have an idea and you have a word count in your head, then it's much, much easier to kind of get your structure and your pacing right as you're going. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's just, this is a very, very good approach because mm. so many people, even if you are a pantser, they don't think this way. They think they're just going to start writing and see where it goes. And But you can still be a pantser and use this approach, which is fantastic. Absolutely. And I do this. This is how I write in my – because this is the other thing I think too is that once you've written 
um, quite a few manuscripts, you you get a really instinctive and natural feeling for the flow of this. But mm. this is after you've read 8,000 books, like you've read <laughs> yeah. over your lifetime. You have read 8,000 books and you have an understanding of exactly how, even if you don't even realise it, subconsciously you have an understanding of how a story works. Here's the intro. Here's the setup. Now everything changes. Now we're moving along. Now we're in the middle of the book. We need some action. We need a subplot, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You have that sort of going on in your mind anyway. But what she's created here for you is if you're starting out is is a good framework for exactly mm. all of those things. And if you keep that kind of stuff in your head, nobody's saying that, oh, I've got to word 5,500, 5, I must change direction now. It, it's You don't have to be that specific, but you just got to have an idea of where things need to go because otherwise your pacing gets thrown out so badly and you're all rushed at the end trying to get everything done. So just think about... Um, about creating a framework and we will put the link in the show notes so that if you do decide you want to suddenly create a first draft to <laughs> submit to Banjo, you can start yes. today. Fantastic. All right. And you'll find the show notes at soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au. Now let's move on to our next uh, link, which is from the Australian Book Review. And it's about the Elizabeth Jolly Short Story Prize. So this is really cool because I love the fact that compared to 10 years ago, even compared to just five years ago, short story prizes were actually not as nowhere near as common um, as they are now. And their prize money was nowhere near what it what it is now. The short story genre has just experienced a renaissance over the last two to three years, and I think that's mm. fantastic. And there's Definitely. some really great prizes out there, and this is this is absolutely one of them. So entry is now open for the 2018 ABR, that's Australian Book Review, Elizabeth Jolly Short Story Prize. And the prizes, the prize money is worth a total of $12,500. Not mm. bad. I would say not bad not at bad. all. First prize is a seven is seven thousand dollars, which is pretty good. You know, like it's, it's a, not a bad return on investment for a short story. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Second prize two thousand dollars, and third prize is one thousand dollars. So mm. that's that's pretty good. Entries close at midnight on the tenth of April two thousand and eighteen. So you need it needs to be a single story of two thousand to five thousand words. So somewhere between two and five thousand obviously written in English, uh, and, um, you know, you can find out more. We'll put the link in the show notes and uh, make sure you enter because, you've again, you have time to write 2,000 words before the 10th of April, don't you? Yes, think? yes, absolutely. absolutely. If you need Val and I help, are in community service mode today. We are going yes. to share the opportunities <laughs> and it's up to you to do something with them. In fact, if you need some help, make sure you check out the self-paced course called Short Story Essentials at the Australian Writers' Centre because what it does is takes you through exactly how to write each stage of your short story and by the end you will have a story of up to 2,500 words. And the reason we chose 2,500 words is because that is a length that is common that uh, in, in the criteria of many short story prizes out there. So make sure you check out the course. Just go to writercentre.com.au slash short story and, um, and, and have a look because that will guide you every step of the way. If you have never written a short story, it's the perfect start and then enter this prize. 
All right, let's move on to our competition for this week. You can win a copy of A Scandal in Bohemia by Gideon Hay. Creatively ambitious and sexually precocious, Molly Bean was a poet, aspiring novelist and muse within Melbourne's Bohemian salons in the early 20th century until one night in 1930 when she was brutally slain by an unknown killer in a laneway while walking home. So A Scandal in Bohemia uh, is a book written by Gideon Hay that explodes the true crime genre with a murder story about life as well as death. Armed with only a single photograph and echoes of Molly's voice, he has reassembled the precarious life of a talented woman without a room of her own. Um, Mm. Yeah, it looks very interesting. So to get your hands on a copy, you need to go to writercentre.com.au slash win. (coughs) And excuse me for that. (laughs) Hmm. Uh, Are you okay? (laughs) I'm just going to take a sip of water while you take over. Oh, okay. What am I going to say? Oh, entries (laughs) um, close on the 19th of March. Um, But if you don't manage to get in, if you're listening to this at a date in the future, there will be other uh, competitions available to you. I'm winging this because this is not my (laughs) usual spot. And where do we go to enter again? Writercentre.com.au slash win. Now, um, Al, I'm sorry I just had that attack there, (laughs) but I'm back now because I have a very important question to ask you. Okay. Are you ready for the word of the week? (laughs) Val, I'm so I'm excited. I'm excited about Are you everything excited today. This week? Oh my god! I'm excited okay. about everything, even the word of the week. <laughs> That's this is. A, I'm going to write this date down. Okay, struthius. Struthius. I think struthius. that's what I should have said when you started coughing. Struthius, Val. Right. Are you okay? <laughs> that's right. That's right. So it's S T R U T H I O U S. Struthius. Now, you might think this has something to do with the word that Alf from Home and Away always says, struth, but you'd be wrong because oh. struthius is actually an adjective that means related to or resembling the ostrich. Seriously? <laughs> yes. So you might say the struthius birds migrated south for the winter or north or wherever they go. And you might even say she wore a struthius fascinator to the races on the weekend. Would you say that, though? You're never going to say that. No, but you could, is the point. You could. Yeah, All right, you I know bet, what? If you, you can put, David if you can, you put struthius into a, into a blog post or a sentence or a hashtag yes. or anything, please share it with us because I really want to see anyone use that in a way that is natural. If- we didn't say it was natural. We just said it was a good word. Okay. Yes. All right. All right. I'm less. I'm less excited now that I know the actual. Um, it's a good word. Definition. I like it. You like All it? Right. Okay. It's yours. I do. Let's move on to our writer in residence this week. I'm talking. Okay. This is really interesting because this guy Campbell McConaughey, he uh, used to go to this pub, right? And Mm -hmm. he used to drink with this guy for quite some time, for years, Lindsay. And then some years later, Lindsay gets on the news 
and Campbell discovers that he has murdered five people. What? Yes. So Campbell explored this a little bit more and wrote a book about it, True Crime. It's called The Fatalist. And um, it, it resulted in a bidding war with a couple of uh, publishers. And it's he, he ended up visiting Lindsay Rose at Goldman Supermax, interviewing heaps of people, and he wrote this book about it. So let's have a chat to Campbell. Campbell, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Now, for listeners who haven't read your book yet, tell us what it's about, The Fatalist. The Fatalist is a true crime biography. It's about a man named Lindsay Rose who committed five murders between in Sydney between 1984 and 1994. And I was prompted to write his story because it turned out that I used to drink with him uh, when I was much younger at the Burwood Hotel in Sydney. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was unaware that he was a criminal at that time and we didn't find out until many years later when we saw his mugshot on the news. Now, you actually, before you started writing this, you have well, had like a day job, correct? Yeah, I work in financial services doing IT stuff. But what made you think, I'm going to write a book now about Lindsay? Oh, well, I'd always planned to be a writer. I was just really bad at organising my life to get around <laughs> to it. So, so I did, a, I did a, um, a Master of Arts in Creative Writing and produced a novel when I did that um, about 2000, but I never thought it was worth trying to get that published. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I did some postgrad study at Sydney Uni as well. But, yeah, it's been my objective since I was – 10 years old but I um and basically when this opportunity well, when I when I freed up some time to be able to write and give it attention and um and decided what project I'd tackle first then this opportunity was right here in front of me fell on my lap as it were so that was my choice of first project so this fell in your lap when you found out uh, that Lindsay was the person that you had been drinking with all those years before, and you had some connection. Was that was it an immediate thing? Oh, there's a book in that. Or did you decide that later after you went to visit him in prison, which I understand you did in 2004? You went started a series of visits to Goulburn to the to Supermax at Goulburn. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Look, I don't remember for sure. I, I think probably um, within a few days, like it was just, just such a shock to see his face on the news wanted for two murders. Um, and I think probably I would have remarked around that time, imagine writing his life story and in a semi-serious way because that was 1997. It wasn't until 2004 that I pulled my finger out and actually did started doing something about it. Yeah, so then you you visit you you decided okay, how did you make contact? How do you go, "Hey, I'm going to go visit this guy in Supermax." <laughs> Just tell us a bit of that initial procedure and that initial meeting. Yeah, so I rang the um 
Department of Corrections to ask how these things work and they explained that you need to apply to be an authorised visitor into the Supermax. I had to have a police check done and then I had to apply and the governor had to approve it and as a courtesy I I rang through and the intel officer in the prison um, asked Lindsay on my behalf if he'd be happy to accept my visit, which he was, and uh, then it's just a matter of ringing on the appropriate day to book for the following weekend. And um, and then there's called the palaver when you get there. So they, being super mix, um, they take, they took my photo, they scanned my iris, they scanned my thumbprint. I was led through five different locked doors and had my thumbprint scanned another three times and Wow. Uh, finally, I was all the way through into Supermax and um, let into the visits room with him. And it was uh, despite my apprehension, having never been near a prison or any, had, had anything to do with the justice system, um, once I was in the room with him, it was kind of relaxing. Uh, you know, I relaxed in the familiarity of, of the person who I'd known. And so were there other people in the room? Like is it a big room, a communal room or do you get a private room? I think it was designed as a communal room. There's little tables and chairs that would fit um, four or five groups, but it's just one at a time is how, they, how they've arranged it. So mm. it's like a tiny cafeteria and it's, uh, only one prisoner at a time is visited. So someone can take their family in. Mm. to visit the one prisoner, but there's only one prisoner per visit room and there's, there's two side by side. So I, I did see some of the other celebrity inmates uh, in the adjoining <laughs> visits room um, when I was visiting Lindsay. Were you scared at any point? I'm not scared for my physical welfare in any way. Mm. I was certainly, the, you know, the day before I was due to drive up to Goulburn for the first time, I'd, I was having beers with my friend at lunchtime and said, you know, I'm a little anxious. It's a, it was, it's a long way out of my personal experience. So, hmm. Yes. And, and so at that point, that first meeting, did you say, hey, Lindsay, I want to write a book about you or just tell us how that process evolved and then what the steps were that you took to get to 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 get information to 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 talk to Lindsay and get his point of view? I did mention it that first time because it was in my mind, and I didn't want to have any false pretenses about me. Um, at his first reaction, well, the first thing he said to me was he had started scribbling some notes himself about his early life with a view mm-hmm. to maybe writing a book himself, but. It, that amounted to nothing in the end. So, but at first, when I put it to him, he 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 said he'd have to think about it. Um, he wrote to me and said, "No, I'm not interested. There's a, there's a contract on my head, and my family being threatened. You know, the people who who you'd have to interview would probably rather shoot you than be interviewed by you, and um, it's really not a good idea." But I persisted with visiting him, um, and we exchanged letters. And after a couple of years, uh, he sort of trusted me and um, decided he would tell me his story after all. 
So it took you a couple of years of courting, really, and then he decided to say yes. Is that correct? Yeah, look, I wasn't actively courting him. I mean, we went and spoke and he did tell me parts about his life. Um, I suppose you could call it courting, but I was more visiting out of, I suppose, hoping to develop the friendship to the point where he would um, agree to participate. Um, but I guess I was also visiting in a compassionate way to him. He, no one else visits him. He just declined to let any of his family members visit him because he um, is concerned for their welfare. Mm. And so um, he, at that point where he agreed, when did you then think, oh, I'm going to go to a publisher? Like, did you get him, did you go was it shortly after that or had you did you decide to write a whole chunk of it before going to a publisher just tell us about that process yeah look i went solo i decided you know all the guidance you read about how to be a writer is you know you want to have your manuscript as good as it can possibly be before you start um getting in front of people and i i know now that um Publishers will give people book deals for high-profile cases before they've even started writing it, but I, yeah. I don't think I knew that at the time. So, so I went on my merry way. Um, I was working in quite um, working long hours in stressful jobs and having other commitments, so it took me a long time. I was I was finished in inverted commas I think in about 2013, and then I. Um, engaged an editor out of my own pocket to review it and give me feedback and, and give me a manuscript evaluation. And he gave me some great tips and advice and said it's certainly publishable if you can cut it back because there was still a lot of fat in it at that time. Mm. I then uh, spent a few months pitching to agents um, and they all declined, but I managed to I managed to um, hit up an agent. At, um, it's actually the Australian Society of Authors conference I went to a couple of years ago, and mm-hmm. I bailed up an agent in the in the lunch break. Yeah. And um, I guess I don't know. It, I think I found that pitching the story to people face to face, they go, "Oh my God, you really yeah, you knew this guy," uh, has a lot more impact than writing it down on a piece of paper and mailing it out. So he was interested straight away and and he signed me up and he pitched it to a range of publishers and two of them were interested actually and um, they actually had to – there was a couple of bids each and Hachette um, ended up being the final bidder. So they they published it. It was released August last year. Mm. And so what was your aim with this book? Was your aim to tell Lindsay's point of view? Was your aim to, you know, um, uh, do an investigative piece? or how, What was your aim with the book? Well, my aim was biography. It's, mm-hmm. it's marketed as true crime for obvious reasons, but it really is a biography. And, you know, the, the arc of his life from being an innocent child, as we all are, to being an ambulance officer early in his career. And then he um, became a private investigator and got mixed up with 
all sorts of nasty people. And um, I mean, that's that's sort of the, the physical element of it, but his psychological development is something that's revealed through the telling of the story as well. So, and that was my objective was to say, well, how could this person I knew, um, who is many of the people I spoke to still feel a great love for him, the person I knew who was well-loved and who was also a apparently successful ambulance officer, um, which was before his criminal career and had compassion for people and saved many lives. How could it be that he changed into this other person that could commit five murders? That, so that was my objective was to understand it and, mm. and obviously uh, make it understandable to other people. Mm. And it is fascinating because, as you say, he was an ambulance officer, which is something that is helping other people and requires a great deal of compassion. And you do talk about how he was one of the first responders to the Granville train disaster and played a important role in 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 that tragic event. Um, and then now to do this, it, it at any point did you kind of think? How did did you have to reconcile with yourself? How, why am I spending this time or writing this book about this person who's written? I mean, who's who's murdered five people? Yeah, I did. I um, lost a lot of sleep over it. Mm. I, um, you know, do we really need to hear? <laughs> um, hear about another criminal and the terrible things he did. Mm. I I kind of solved it in my mind by saying, well, look, my objectives are are good. I, you know, I, I'm hoping that by illustrating how he came to be this way, we might learn something from it. Mm. Um, maybe we can make the world a better place and, and don't produce these kind of people. Uh, so I'm speaking in very general terms, but... Um, I'm, this is not a. This is not exploitative, or tabloid, or um, pulpy in in that way. I I hope that was my objective, and so that was kind of how I, you know, maybe I talked myself around it to, for my own ends. But that was what I told myself anyway. What else did you lose sleep over in the process of writing this book? Well, the tricky one was. Uh, one of the double murders was, I mean, a lot of the stuff he told me I couldn't verify. Uh, mm. There were things that are personal to him. Um, and one of the double murders, he's, his belief was that this particular woman had terrorised his business, which at the time was a brothel and a massage parlour, um, that they'd, they'd had a business dispute and he believed that she had embarked on a campaign of intimidation, that she'd hired a bikey gang to threaten his staff. Um, there was a car bomb involved. There was graffiti, threats to staff, assaults, and he blamed all of these things on her. Mm. Now, to tell the story, and it's written as narrative nonfiction, so it reads like a novel. So yeah. I, it, it was a challenge to sort of say, well, how do I tell the story of his point of view, but at the same time, when, when I don't really have any, I, I have kind of a minuscule of anecdotal support to what he said, but no proof of it. Mm. Um, so 
uh, that was a real stumbling block. And I thought, how am I, maybe I should give it up, you know, or, or just cut that whole thing out or turn it into straight um, exposition rather than, than trying to tell it as a, in a novelistic form. Mm. Uh, so, but in the end, I kind of cheated. I, what I did was I left it in and then I just put a chapter in there that says, oh, I'm going to remind the reader now <laughs> that mm. this is what he told me and mm. um, you, you can believe it or disbelieve it. The, mm. the victim, his victim, which, mm. which he's described in this way, you know, was loved by her family and, mm. um, and so that's, so, you know, I just put a big fat disclaimer in there. Um, mm. which it was perhaps a cop-out, but that was what I ended up doing. And so for that one you couldn't verify, for, but there were obviously other things that he told you which you then could go and verify. Can you give us some examples of what some of those things were and how you verified them? Um, a lot of the details of his crime. So I tracked down the the um the lead investigator a um, detective inspector who led the task force which ultimately caught him and he kindly arranged for me to have access to the public record police files and so that was that was a great boon it was um literally hundreds of pages of documents uh, relating to the investigation and forensic evidence and all the stuff you really want when you're um, writing this kind of story. So the circumstances of the murders and circumstances of some of his other criminal career, um, I could line up what he told me with the evidence that the police had collected. Mm -hmm. uh, another, a, another aspect to that was um, his married life because he was married and had a daughter and I... Mm -hmm. I interviewed um, his ex-wife and his daughter, who and there, with a couple of exceptions, um, which I've kind of included both sides of the story in the book. But, but other than those, the the accounts pretty much lined up. And was his daughter and ex-wife, you know, yeah, sure, I'm happy to be interviewed, or did that take some? Um, some time to get them to trust you as well? Um, I contacted the daughter first and um, she was hesitant at first because she's a practising lawyer and had not told anyone about her father. Um, it caused her problems and obviously she was 13 when she found out about her, th her father and it was um, something would have been a challenge for anyone to deal with and she was able to successfully. Um, so, yeah, there was some hesitance at first, but she kind of also at the same time, she sort of felt the burden of carrying this secret through her life. Um, Australian Story actually did a profile on her late last year talking about the fact that um, she kept this secret and then this idiot came out and wrote a book about it and kind of forced her out of, out of cover. Um, but she's one of the most amazing people I've ever met. So, um, and she then sort of, um, I think it was she then sort of introduced me to her mother, who was happy to answer some questions as well. 
Now, you said that the um, police, the the detective gave you access to all of these police files that are on the public record. How does that actually work? Do you just get access to them in a physical location? Do you get to take them away? Are they electronic? How, how did this actually work? Uh, in my case, I was kind of um, shielded from that because it, he, he just arranged access like that he had them at his house he'd arrange for them to um to be there and i'd access them there so you had to go to his house to look at them physically at set times you couldn't kind of have them on your computer and do research at 2 a.m well just quietly he let me borrow them but um <laughs> but uh, look i don't think that's the the normal process um, right. <laughs> that was he was very kindly made the arrangements for me because he, this was the highlight of his career in a way. Uh, he was very closely involved in this for more than two years. Um, right, so and yes, so they were was... physical files. Yes. Yeah. And so you had to, like, you went through you, and analysed these physical files were you? Was there a system to it? Um, were you looking for something in particular, or were you? How were you using them? Um, the system was there was one box per um, investigation, so there was there was two double murders and a single murder, so there was um, three boxes. Mm-hmm. It contained uh, printouts of his. Uh, interviews with the police that were on tape and um, transcripts of interviews with other witnesses who were either involved or had witnessed some of these uh, some of these um, criminal acts. There was copies of faxes between agencies and reports describing, um, you know, the the arrest plan because they'd. Um, had someone to arrest the next morning and things like that. And so I was I was not hunting for something. I was churning my way through trying to see what would be useful in telling the story. And so what I ultimately did was um, I created a timeline in a spreadsheet mm-hmm. and I had the date and because it wasn't in date order, I had the date and what happened and as the as the and as the police went about their investigative um, steps, processes, so, you know, on this date it went to forensics and then the next day they went and interviewed so-and-so and then a week later the forensics came back and then someone said the weapon's over here and then they went and got the weapon and then they got it checked and the ballistics did or didn't add up and then they got the witness in who said, actually, that's not the weapon after all and, and things like that were all were all in a timeline, and then I um, the the last well the police investigations woven into the story. So um, he was on the run for nine months, and I've got um, what the police were doing and what he was doing, um, swapping backwards and forwards during that nine months. Mm-hmm. And also, how when you're in a prison and you are interviewing someone, you can't take a recording device in, can you? So how do you remember all the stuff? <laughs> yeah, with difficulty. I 
I don't know if it's the case in every prison, but certainly in the in the maximum supermax and the maximum security, mm. I couldn't even take one little yellow sticky note with my questions on it. So, so that was okay. I, I had a so I had a database of unanswered questions. Some of them I could write them in letters. Uh, other types of questions were a bit sensitive, and um, he'd asked me to put to not put certain topics in letters. So I'd I'd prioritise the ones I needed answered next, or what were the more bigger, uh, more significant questions, and I'd uh, write them down and then memorise them as I drove up to Goulburn, um, and then I'd just do my best to remember the answers. And I so I. I had a voice recorder, so on my drive back from Goulburn to Sydney, I'd I'd just read out into the voice recorder everything I could possibly remember, mm. and then uh, after I got home, I would then uh, type it all out and add in anything else that I'd remembered um, in between. And so that was my sort of research um, pile, um, mm. part of my research pile, and and some of those trip reports I ended up including in the story as well, just experience of visiting a prison for the first time and what it looks like and what the atmosphere is and things like that. Now, when you're writing about crime, especially huge, serious crime like this, uh, there are potentially risks involved because of the stuff that you you might portray, the messages you might convey. Um, When I was uh, talking to James Phelps, who wrote, you know, like Australia's hardest prisons, and he's he's been to many prisons around Australia and written about them. He was saying that there was a period that he was um, driving around with a baseball bat in his car, um, uh, in his boot. Um, did you ever consider that? Oh, constantly, yeah. And it was hard to judge how real that threat was because even though Lindsay sort of tried to put the frighteners on me it was a long time ago um and the perspective of someone in his situation is not necessarily accurate so i mean for example he still has a view that um virtually every detective in the new south wales police force is corrupt and i'm convinced that's not the case having read through the findings of the woodrow commission and, and what the police integrity commission reports every year i just i don't think it's true his 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 view of this is tainted by what it used to be like um so yeah it was always in my mind and i took a few simple precautions like having my address suppressed on the electoral roll and um, other things that I won't go into. But, um, sure. but look, I've not had any um, regret or hint of a threat as a result of it. But, uh, yeah, I did have to be wary. Like there was – there are some – quite a few unsavory characters um, mentioned in the book as well. Mm. So I was just um, – I took what I thought was appropriate precautions. Did Lindsay get to approve the manuscript? No. Um, in fact, to my knowledge, he's still not even read it. Um, so as I alluded to before, there was it's kind of upside-down world in prison um, mm. where your crimes you've committed are a, are a kind of a 
a plus for you. Anything you might have done that's good might actually count as a negative against you in prison. So there were certain things he didn't want me to send to him, um, which I respected. Um, so, look, I did send him chapters to review along the way, but they were mostly things about his uh, early childhood or his days in the ambulance service, very little to do with his criminal career. Um, and I can't send him a copy of the book because it's a prison, you can't send stuff in. Uh, he said he was going to um, make his own arrangements to get a copy, but to my knowledge, he hasn't. So I'm not really understanding your comment about, um, you know, anything that there's that you do is good is may, might be a negative. I'm not sure how that relates to what you were just saying. Oh, is having a book written about you good or something? No, no. What I mean is, well, because he was a private investigator, um, there are certain things you might do as a private investigator, as a lawful private investigator, that are that are reminiscent of law enforcement, shall I say. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, you know, if you're, if I'm sending him a chapter where he's describing um, an investigation where he's catching a thief, then right, I see. someone might take a poor view of that if you're in prison. Uh, it doesn't right. make sense, but that's the point. It's uh, right. You just wanted to err on the side of caution and say, well, look, I don't want there to be any suggestion of anything that sure. might trigger some irrational criminal who might accidentally get your letter. Yes. So, so th- he things never. Like that. And this, yeah. yeah, no, you can. Sorry, go on. Uh, there are. Yeah, I'm. I'm being a bit vague on purpose because I That's okay. tell you the things that defeats the purpose of not having. Sure, I understand. So yep. it did. He. Um, he was happy for the book to go out without him kind of seeing the final product. In a story about his life. Look, it was never really discussion. Um, it was always my project. I mean, he's, yep. you know, there's no um, contractual arrangement with him. It, it, sure. You know, prisoners can't benefit from proceeds yep. of crime. Um, and it was always understood that I would be writing what I thought of matters, yep. good or bad. Um so, and, you know, he was getting pretty sick of it by the end because it yeah. took me so long. Um, <laughs> and he said, look, the only, the only reason I'm still doing this is because I promised that I would, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> so now that you've got the taste of it, uh, you've released the book successfully, um, you know what, it's it's like going to visit Supermax is, you know, um, pretty easy for you now. What's next for you? Um, look, I have dabbled a little over the years, so I do have a little, um, you know, bottom drawer of, of barely started projects. So I'm, I, um, against the advice of my handlers, um, who recommend I write another true crime book, I'm working on a novel, um, and that's really to challenge myself and say, well, you know, someone someone said to me at a at a, at a writing event after I told them the story and said, well, anyone could write that story. <laughs> it's such a, <laughs> it's such a good story. Um, right. Any idiot could have got that published, um, which I don't think it was meant to be an insult, but, um, and I think I've done it more justice than 
It's also rubbish. It's a rubbish thing to say because it's simply not true because, uh, yeah, of course the story is a great story, but the access, the trust, the research, that all goes into the writing. So whoever said that's crazy. Anyway, go on. I don't think it's that way, but um, necessarily. But, yeah, so I thought, um, yeah, I'll challenge myself and, and do a novel, do some fiction next, which was kind of always my interest anyway, to be honest. That's mm. what I read mostly. Um, mm. And as I said, I only really stepped into true crime because this project uh, kind of fell in my lap. Yeah, well, hey, it's, it's a... Pretty fascinating, pretty fascinating project. Um, all right, wonderful. So um, what was the most challenging thing about the whole experience? Oh, gosh. Um, look, the, in the writing of it, the, I got, I got a, the logistical tangle, I guess, of getting the scenes in the right order because I've kind of got three narrative threads. I've got his life story is the main one. And then I've got, um, I dip in and out with, with my little, um, contributions describing my research process and, and how he told me things. And then I've got the police investigation woven in as well. And yeah, just getting the flow correctly was the challenge. In the end, I split it into three separate manuscripts and each one of those three had to read um, top to bottom as its own sustainable, um, consistent storyline. And then I was able to thread the three uh, into one and then it didn't read right. So I ended up, it was, in a, it was a tip that Kate Grenville told me uh, in a writing workshop. I just got out all the little cards. I wrote out all the scenes on dozens and dozens of little white cards and, and color-coded them and put them all out on the carpet and shuffled them around till it kind of made sense and, and then did that to the manuscript um, and then it didn't work and did it again. So mm. that, that was, from a writing point of view, that was a big challenge. Yeah. And finally, what was the most rewarding thing about the whole experience? Oh, look, I suppose every published author... <laughs> Well, I don't know if they will, but I mean, just getting being published. I mean, it's yeah. something that uh, gives you because having worked for ten to twelve years on something and and really not seeking any feedback, um, mm. just going well. Who knows? I could be just. It could just be garbage. You just don't know. You can't be objective about your own writing. So to get the agent on board and then to have yeah. two publishers bid for it was very gratifying. So oh, that yeah. was definitely the most rewarding thing. Well, yeah, well, congratulations on it as well. Uh, and so on that note, thank you so much for your time today, Campbell. Thank you. It's been great. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our hugely popular course, How to Write About Murder, is all about creating more authentic action for your crime or thriller novel. Presented by award-winning crime author Candace Fox, this course covers nine modules of fascinating detail, taking you beyond the police tape to explore what motivates killers and how they go about their business. You'll also immerse yourself in the chase, from the murder scene and autopsy to the investigation that follows. 
Plus, because it's one of our on-demand courses, you'll get instant access and learn at your own pace with 12 months access to all course materials. You can find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash murdercourse. There you go, Campbell McConaughey. I mean, like it just shows you that the guy drinking with you in the pub could end up being the source of your manuscript. Yeah, well, we do talk all the time about, you know, ideas being everywhere and all around us. And whether you're writing feature stories or novels or what it is that you're doing, it's that whole sense of just being, having those sort of spidey senses tuned all the time for, oh, and you get used to it. I think, I think that's where one of the places where, um, and I, I think I wrote about this in a, in a, blog post I wrote at one stage about things that I learned from feature writing that I sort of took with me into fiction. And I Mm. think that that attuning your, you know, antenna for ideas thing, I think that that is definitely something I learned through features writing, through journalism. It's just that thing of listening for that little ding. Oh, there's an idea. Do you know what I mean? It's that sort of, and you do, you do really, it is practice, but you really start to really see them, don't you? In in the strangest places. Absolutely. And for anyone who is a freelance writer or a feature writer who wants to get ideas, sometimes I get fantastic ideas from listening to podcasts. People will say something and I just go, ding, that's a story in that, you know, absolutely a story in that. So yeah, yeah, you you can get ideas from, from anywhere. Now I actually want to give some, give people a tip because, hello, yeah, because um, I, uh, buy hard copy books like every single week, but mm-hmm. I also buy Kindle books. Usually the Kindle books are when I get on a plane or, you know, I don't want to carry a big book around in my luggage, no. um, but it's something I want to read on the go. And um, only of late, because I used to listen to audiobooks, then that I w- that stopped for a while and I've recently got big, got back into them because it forces me to go for walks. <laughs> right. And I'm doing whatever I need to to make myself just get some more incidental exercise. Mm. So if I had a, have a book, I will, you know, I can listen to podcasts, sure, but um, if I get stuck into a book, it's I, I want to know what happens next and therefore I go for mm. a walk, right? Mm. So. Something to be aware of for those of you, because what's great is if you buy a book on Amazon, I mean, and you've, you and uh, Amazon owns Audible. If you buy the book on Audible, it will sync also with your the book on Kindle if you have it on Kindle. And so wherever you get up to, say on the audio, it will then be at, at that spot on Kindle. Mm. So that's handy if you then want to just continue reading. But I was having trouble with. The books that I had bought on Audible were showing up on my computer, but they were not showing up on my phone. And so I got on the phone to uh, Audible and within seconds they answered. Um, You know, I think they were American, but they guided me through it. And what it was was particularly for those people who started their Amazon, their Kindle accounts very early, like early adopters, um, before Amazon was in Australia, I – Mine was a US account mm. because that was before we could actually get it here. And I remember mm-hmm. actually um, they had uh, 
they had to you had to put in a US address and I had no idea so I put in the only address I knew which was Beverly Hills 90210 and so that I could have an Amazon account we <laughs> made me laugh really <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's still it to this day um but when you download the Audible app it automatically thinks you're in Australia so it doesn't show. So what you need to do to make sure that your purchases show up on your Australian Audible app is to change the marketplace. So find the spot where you change the marketplace to US and then you will get your your books on your Audible, on your phone that you can listen to when you go walking. There you go. Okay, good. <laughs> Did everyone get that? <laughs> I know that's only going to be applicable to some people out there, but I know that those some people are going to find that very useful. They are. They, they're going to be so excited by that, I reckon. <laughs> that was, again, exciting. See, it's just the – I think we should just call this the episode of excitement right. and be done with it. <laughs> no? All right. So what are you doing this coming week, Al? What am I doing? Um, I am editing a manuscript. Apart from being well, I'm, obviously I'm excited about. I, I'll I'll spend some time just you know, I don't know, bathing in my excitement or something. Um, so I'll be excited, and then I'm also editing, which is less exciting, but 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 good because I'm kind of it's a. So I submitted a manuscript last week. People who are playing along at home with me on my Facebook page are probably getting very lost because I I had a year last year where I did a lot of work on a lot of things, but I didn't really I I wasn't happy to get to anything at submission stage because I was busy promoting two books in Australia and three books in the US. So it was kind of a weird year for me last year. So what's happened in the last couple of months is that all of those things that I was working on last year that I wasn't quite happy with, that I hadn't quite finished, that I was, you know, doing whatever with, have all sort of come together because I've had some time to to focus and to get that sort of stuff happening. So I've got a lot of you know projects that were were at the almost ready to submit stage. So I've submitted some, I'm editing another one and I've got another one that I'm still writing. So if I look like I'm crazily sort of, you know, editing and submitting and doing stuff, it's because I am, but it's mostly because I didn't last year. So just in case you're thinking I've, you know, developed a a, a sort of some kind of speed habit, I haven't. It's just (laughs) that I'm catching up, (laughs) catching up from last year. Um, So yeah, so I, I, I submitted one last week. I'm working on editing um, another one that I've been working on. And I am also working on tweaking my course, my new course for the Australian Writers yes. Centre. So Val, I'm I'm working to my deadline that you gave me, um, trying very hard to get that happening. Uh, so that's what I'm doing. I'm a bit all over the shop, but I'm excited. Yes. Oh, cool. <laughs> I'm excited that you're excited. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm well, going to be totally – I'll be back to being Eeyore next week, everyone, just in case you think that something's gone horribly wrong No, here, no, this is going to keep on going. <laughs> this is going to keep middling. on going. Yeah, yeah. No. And what about you? What are you doing this week? Um, well, I think I mentioned last week that I was editing, structurally editing a manuscript and I have finished wow. that now. I just need to write the, you know, overall – um, assessment. I've done lots mm. of comments throughout, but uh, <clears throat> it was really good, actually. I mean, it's a really, it was a memoir, it was a powerful message, but it just needs to be reordered. 
and it's going to be even more powerful. So it's interesting how a, a simple act of reordering the the, the main chunks um, can can change the way a reader feels about the story. It can change the arc that the the, the journey mm. that the reader goes on. Um, mm. So this person will have a bit of work, but um, most of it's there. It's it's really a matter of reordering and then making sure that the fabric of it is smooth. Mm. So yes, I, I'll probably end up having a coffee with that person as well. So you're going to break yeah. someone's heart. No, but I'm not. Then re- but then you're going to – no, this is what you're going to do because this is how it works. You're going to break their heart by saying to them it's not perfect, which, of course, clearly they were hoping it would be. Um, <laughs> but then you're going to help them to rebuild their shattered dreams by suggesting how they can fix it, right? I wouldn't have used those words, <laughs> but okay, sure. <laughs> I've just given it to you from the writer's perspective. You know that I am. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'll I'll let you I'll let you all know how it goes. All right. So where do we find you online, Al? You will find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You will find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you will find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T. And you, Val, where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. And, of course, make sure you connect with both of us through the Facebook group. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community on Facebook and uh, click to join. We'd love to have you in there. So many different writers from all different walks of life, new writers, more established writers, but a wonderful, wonderful group of supportive and fabulous people. So do join the party there. And, of course, you can always find the show notes at soyouwanttobearwriter.com.au. Thanks for listening, everyone. We look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentercomau slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentercomau slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. 